Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We've got uh, two more Sundays in James today and next Sunday, and then we uh, are going to do kind of like a standalone uh, one uh, one day uh, message that uh, I'm just calling marriage counseling. So if you need that, know someone that needs that, or whatever, drag people here on that Sunday. We actually have a wedding that will take place at, uh, during the very end of the second service uh, on that day, on the 22nd. Uh, so uh, you'll be uh, praying about that date. And uh, and then we've got our, our day we go out to serve. And then starting in uh, July, uh, we're going to do a, a series that will last probably about two months uh, that we're going to call Life Verses, uh, like Bible verses is the, the way I'm using the word verses. And uh, in that, uh, myself and all the staff uh, and anyone on our leadership team uh, will be given a Sunday and uh, they're going to share with you uh, both the husband and the wife, uh, or the wife and the husband, whichever the case is. Uh, they're going to share with you what their favorite uh, Bible verses are, tell you why, and then I'm going to preach those Bible verses on that day. So be something a little bit different uh, there for a couple of months. Uh, so you be praying for that as we work toward that, uh, toward that day. Um, <clears throat> the last theme in, in the book of James uh, dealing with Christian maturity, because that's what the whole main theme is. But the last theme, someone did not bring me my chair, did they? It's good that I looked instead of just sat down, right? I would have given you something to remember the sermon by forever. Okay. Um, but the last theme uh, deals with, with being, being prayerful in times of trouble. Um, there, there are five main themes that he deals with, uh, through, through this chapter. And like I said, the main topic of the whole book of James is, is how to be a mature Christian or be a, a, a mature Christian. Um, and today as we talk about prayer, we started last week dealing with prayer, but, uh, today as we talk about prayer, we're going to talk about being prayerful, uh, concerning suffering and physical troubles, or you could say, uh, suffering and sickness, uh, it might be an easier way to say it. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 7 through 16. Uh, the, the immediate uh, statement that he makes is to tell believers to be patient. And the immediate context is uh, James writing to the poor. Because if you remember last week, uh, he was kindly putting the rich in their place because they were not doing the things that they needed to do uh, to minister to the poor. And it wasn't just rich out in the world. He was writing to the church uh, in that uh, day and time. Uh, so the immediate context is to the poor uh, here, telling the poor that they need to be uh, prayerful. But uh, the context for us uh, is really the same thing because sometimes you and I can feel poor uh, based on suffering or circumstances that we're facing in our life. We can feel poor or needy. Or during times of sickness, you and I can feel poor uh, because of dealing with illnesses and things like that. So he calls us to deal with those types of things in prayer. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's go ahead and jump right uh, into it. Two main thoughts and, and some sub uh, points to go with each one. First thing James tells us to do is to be patient through prayer. And I understand the verses that I'm about to read uh, do not mention the word prayer. But like I said last week, the context of prayer is later on in the chapter. And we'll see that uh, as we get to those verses today. But he's telling us that we need to be patient uh, through prayer. You and I praying about things uh, can help us be more patient, can help us have the right uh, mindset to deal with either suffering or sickness uh, in, in our lives. Uh, kind of the first thing that he tells us there in verse 7, he said, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So he, he's telling us that we need to be prayerfully patient or practice prayerful patience by focusing upon an ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal is this, Jesus is coming again. Do you understand how that ought to help us? When you're going through suffering, that suffering is not going to last forever. When you are going through sickness, that sickness is not going to last forever. 
He tells us to be patient until the coming of the Lord because he is coming back. Now, the word that he uses there for us to, uh, means for us to be kind of long-spirited or, or forbearing or patient. We're to be long-suffering. We're to, uh, the, the root word means to be long or enduring as far as our temper goes or maybe be a, a little bit lenient when we're facing uh, circumstances and situations and people are, are, are mistreating us. And he says, do it therefore. In other words, accordingly, he said, here's why you ought to be patient. Because the coming of the Lord is is near. His second return, the physical return of Christ. By the way, when he comes back the second time, he's going to punish the wicked in that day and time. We'll already be gone. If you're a believer, before he actually returns, we'll be gone by way of the rapture. When he literally, physically comes back and sets his feet here on the earth, he's coming back to set things right. And you and I, instead of being so downcast when people mistreat us and we're going through suffering circumstances, what we ought to do is look toward this ultimate goal and, and realize that, that Jesus is coming back. Jesus warned us. He, he said, in the world, you shall have tribulation in John chapter 16 and verse 33. So since Jesus told us up front, hey, guess what? You're going to have tribulation as long as you're in the world. We shouldn't act shocked when it takes place. We ought to be a little bit more prepared for it. And when it does take place, James has said, look forward to the fact that Jesus is coming back. We were also told in the Bible that the return of the Lord ought to be considered a blessed hope for us. Paul writes to Titus and says this, waiting for our blessed hope. And then he tells us what the blessed hope is. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, here's a side message. If anyone ever tells you the Bible does not say Jesus is God, I'm sorry. Right there, it just said it. Amen? God in the flesh. Living in this world will present you with difficulties. Living in this world, people will mistreat you. Living in this world, there will be circumstances that you will face. And, and that's why James tells us, instead of being so exasperated by those things, instead of becoming bitter because of those things, instead of being angry because of those things, what we need to do is be long-suffering, long-tempered as we go through those things. And the way to do that is to look beyond the situation and understand Jesus is coming back. And that will help us when we're going through those. Now, he illustrates it by talking about a farmer to help us understand how you and I need to have patience. Because he said in the second part of verse 7, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early in the latter rains. Now, some of the words that he used there, we've already seen. Uh, of course, the word farmer just literally talks about someone, either a vineyard keeper, a husbandman, or someone's just literally working the soil. But, but he says that he waits. And the word wait means to accept from some source. Guess where the source is? God. See, the farmer can't generate everything by himself. The farmer can't make it grow. The farmer can't make the sunshine. The farmer can't make the rainfall. That's why he's accepting it from another source. And the Bible calls it precious fruit, something that's valuable. And he uses the same word we saw a moment ago for patient. He says the farmer has to be long-spirited, forbearing, patient, long-suffering. He has to uh, be willing to endure uh, and have an enduring temper, be lenient, because he can't change it. He has to wait for that uh, early rain. And by the way, in that particular part of the world, uh, it's different than our part of the world. So the early rain and the time that they would plant their crops is what it refers to, uh, was in, in October, uh, in November. The, the latter rain, which was uh, a time that would kind of help bring about the, the finishing of the harvest was in April or May. And he simply used that as an illustration saying, if you want an illustration of patience, look at the farmer. By the way, if you're not a patient person, you do not need to ever become a farmer. Amen. Because to, to be a farmer, you have to go out and, and you have to work the, the, the ground and you have to take time and plant the seed and the crop doesn't grow overnight. The only thing that grows overnight is weeds. Weeds will grow overnight and that just adds extra work for the farmer to deal with. He, he has to be patient because he cannot make it grow himself. He has to be long-suffering with the weather, the circumstances, the rain. He has to have faith that it will grow when he plants the seed because he himself has no way to control the circumstances. 
And he has to realize there's a source beyond himself, that being God. And he waits for that seed to produce the fruit. See, the Bible tells us as Christians in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. You and I as believers, spiritually, we can reap if we don't faint. We need to be planting a a spiritual harvest and trusting God for it. Not only does he illustrate patience, he instructs patience. He talks about our heart. We saw already for patience, so I won't go through all of it. I will add something to it. The, the word that's used there for being patient, the, the tense of it in the Greek does not mean to sit idly by doing nothing. It, it means that, that we are to be actively uh, enduring. We're, we're to be bearing burdens. We're to be uh, busy about our business until the Lord comes. It doesn't mean that we just sit back and wait. A farmer, yes, he plants the seed, but then he's got other stuff to do. Yeah, he may have to, to fertilize it. He, he may have to, if it's not raining, he may have to irrigate it and, and try and add water uh, to his crops. He has the weeds that I mentioned a moment ago to deal with. The farmer doesn't just put the seed in and then sit back and never do anything else. Neither can we as Christians do that. He, he's not telling us that we need to have patience where we just sit back and do nothing. We need to have a patience where we are actively establishing our hearts. And, and that means to set fast or to turn resolutely your heart in a certain direction, to turn your thoughts, your feelings, the the center of your very being, to turn it in a direction. Guess where that is for us? If we're going to have patience, we're turning our hearts toward the coming of the Lord. We're turning our hearts toward God. We're turning our hearts toward having faith and trusting in Him. Because He said the coming of the Lord that we saw a moment ago is near. It's going to happen. It's going to be at hand. It draws near is what he's telling us. Here's the secret to endurance, just maybe when we're going through suffering. The key or the secret to endurance is, is, is this. When, when, when things get going tough in our lives, we need to remind ourselves that God is producing a harvest in our lives. God is allowing those circumstances in our lives to help us grow. Now, if you'll be honest, and I'll be honest for my part of it, I'll tell you when I've grown the most in my life, it's not been when everything's rosy and everything's good, and I think I've got the world, you know, kind of in my hand. When I grow the most is when the bottom falls out. When when I grow the most is when God reminds me that I can't deal with it, and and I can't plan ahead and see what's going to happen, and I get to the point in my life that I understand that I cannot do it. He's the only one that can. And when you're going through a tough time, if you remind yourself, that means God's doing something good. God's bringing a harvest in your life. Then that gives you the patience to endure whatever you're going through. See, there's something called the fruit of the spirit in Galatians chapter five, verse 22 and 23, that God is wanting to grow in our lives. And those things will grow better during trials and troubles than they will when, when things are going smooth. Our tendency, though, as humans is this. We're going through a bad time, and our tendency is to get impatient with God. Our tendency is to get impatient or angry with others or get disappointed and frustrated with ourselves and throw our hands up in the air and give up. But that's not what James is calling us to. He's calling us to establish our hearts during those times, to set fast our hearts, to resolutely turn our hearts toward God and His purposes. We need to be busy. The farmer doesn't stand around doing nothing, and we don't need to stand around doing nothing. He tells us to be active. James, as he talks about the coming of the Lord, did not tell believers to put white robes on, climb a mountain, and wait for Jesus to come back. Now, some of you understand the context of that. Some of you don't. There have been cult groups in the past that have done that, who have named a time, and they've actually had suppers, you know, like the marriage supper of the land. They planned themselves, and they told all their members, put on white robes, let's go up and wait on a mountain, and Jesus is going to come get us. Problem was, he didn't show up. <laughs> you want to know why? No one knows the day or the hour. That's what Jesus said. So we're not just to put on white robes and wait around. We're supposed to be actively working and doing something for him until he comes back trusting in him. Jesus said this, blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing, so doing when he comes. If we're actively serving him when he comes back, that says that there's a blessing that comes with that. 
Not only do we need to be patient as far as difficult times and having the ultimate goal of looking toward the coming of the Lord, James also tells us in verse 9 that we need to be patient. We need to be prayerfully patient in relationships. So I alluded to it a moment ago, but, but when things get bad in your life, you get a short fuse, don't you? When, when you're going through suffering and tribulation and things like that, that's when it gets really easy for you to grumble and pick someone out to grumble about or blame for whatever you're going through. He tells us in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. And then he says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Don't, don't be don't be putting people in straits. Don't be sighing or murmuring against people. Don't, don't be filled with grief and groaning or hold a grudge against one another. It's what he's telling us there. And he gives us that warning. He says, so that you will not be judged. And the phrase that he uses for judge actually is a term that was used about a courtroom proceeding, someone being tried in court. He's telling us if we go around judging other people, being critical of other people, grumbling about other people, he's saying that we ourselves will be judged. And then he gives us this warning, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus, the one that knows the full story, Jesus that knows what is completely right and what is completely wrong, he's standing at the door and he'll come back and judge things correctly. That's why you need to be having patience and trusting in him instead of being upset and grumbling and complaining about everybody else because when he comes back, he's coming back as a judge. And you don't want to be positioning yourself in a way that brings his judgment toward you, his decision toward you because you've been running around being critical with, with, with other people. He also tells us to have prayerful patience that has been modeled in the past for us. See, for, for, for us to have the excuse, well, man, I, I wish I just had some kind of example of someone being patient. The Bible's filled up with it. Because he said in verse 10 and 11, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's simply telling us, if you need an example to follow, that people can put their trust in the Lord and make it through difficult circumstances, he said, look at the Bible. Look at the, the prophets, how they endured. Look at the example of Job. The, the, some of the words that he used in the Greek there means that, that, that phrase, example for suffering, he, he, it means an exhibit for imitation. In other words, God has those stories in the Bible to be an exhibit for us so we can learn to imitate that. It's a pattern for suffering or hardship. When we're going through suffering and hardship, it gives us a pattern for how you and I need to have forbearance or fortitude or long-suffering in our lives when we're going through difficulties. He, he said, take the prophets for the example. And it literally means to get hold of. In other words, wrap your mind around this. Grab hold of this. You, you think you can't make it through suffering? Take hold of this. There are people who have made it through suffering. Those prophets who used to speak in advance what my will is, who spoke in the name of the Lord, who spoke in a fixed position in the character of God is what the phrase means. Behold, we consider those blessed, those fortunate, who remain steadfast, who stay under, who bear the trials, who have the fortitude to persevere. And then he said, the steadfastness of Job. Cheerful, hopeful, endurance. He's talking about Job. Cheerful, hopeful, endurance. The staying under trials. In Job's name, Itself. I don't know if you knew this or not, but his name, Job's name, literally means hated or persecuted. <laughs> Look at what Job went through, what he faced. And yet he said the purpose of the Lord, God had a definite purpose, and his purpose was compassion and mercy. Now, we don't have time this morning to go through a lot of examples, but think of some of the prophets. Think about Elijah for a moment. I mean, Elijah had been up on Mount Carmel, had this great victory against the prophets of Baal. And then he found out this woman by the name of Jezebel is after him. And all of a sudden, he goes into a fit of depression. But God ministers to him and gets him through that time in his life. 
Think about Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. And God takes him through that time period. Or think about the three Hebrew children who were thrown into the fire because they refused to kneel and bow and worship an idol. And there's a fourth man walking in the fire with them who looked like the Son of God. God, time and time and time again, helped those prophets of the Old Testament to make it through persecution and hardship. Take the example of Job for a minute. Talk a little bit about Job. Job lost his possessions. Job lost his children. Job lost his servants. Job lost his health. And Job evidently lost the love and the concern of his wife because she said, why don't you curse God and die? I'm tired of messing with you with all these sores and boils you've got all over your body. Job lost all of that, but never one time did he ever get bitter against God. Oh, there are times he said, well, I wish I could find God so I could tell him my complaint. But never did he get bitter against God. Never ever did, did he react in the wrong way. Instead, he had this patient trust in God. So much so that in Job 13 verse 15, he said this, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. He's saying, God, I don't like what I'm going through. I I want to talk to you about this. But he said this, even if God kills me, I'm still going to hope in him. That's what Job said. That's an example for us when we're going through difficulties and trials in in our lives. Both the prophets that he talks about in Job's suffering, by the way, were in the will of God when they were suffering. See, some people would, you know, even Job's friend showed up. Well, Job, you must be out of God's will. You must have done something wrong. No, he was in God's will. He, he faced suffering for some other reason. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says this, Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what does it say? Will be? Not maybe, not every now and then, not possibly. It said all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So plan for it. Just because someone's being persecuted facing a tough time doesn't mean they got out of God's will. Because Job and the prophets were both in God's will. And God cared for them. He had compassion and mercy upon them even when they were suffering. He had compassion to take care of Daniel in the lion's den. The three Hebrew children that I mentioned ago, in Job's case, he had compassion and mercy upon Job, and ultimately God gives Job twice as much as he had before. If you need some illustrations for how to be patient and how to be prayerful when you're going through difficult times and suffering in your life, it's been modeled for you in the past. When you find yourself in the fire, you need to remember this. You need to remember that God keeps his gracious hand on the thermostat. He's the one that's allowing it. He has a purpose behind it. You might not know what it is, but that's why your faith is in him and not your circumstances. That's why you trust in him and not what you're going through. Job said this, but he knows the way that I take. You don't, I don't, I have no idea what awaits me tomorrow. Neither do you. Job did not, but Job said this. He, God, knows the way that I take, and when he's tried me, I'll come forth as gold. Job said, I know God has a purpose for this, and it's going to make me better. It's going to make me shine like gold after God is through working on me. We, we also need to be prayerful and have prayerful patience through our, our words, through your words that you say. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, he's not just talking about cussing. He's not just talking about that type of language he says above all superior to all things he said this is really important what he's saying 
don't swear. And it's a qualified negative. That, that in other words, he's not saying it's, it's wrong to ever take an oath. Some people read that literally and they won't take an oath in court or anything else. That's not what he's saying. Because in the Greek, it's a qualified negative. He said, either by heaven or by the earth or any other oath. Instead, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And he uses that little phrase that we've seen several times in James. It's actually used to talk about God saying, I am that I am, or Jesus being the great I am. He said other things. The, the, the phrase means I exist. What we need to do is, is just be the kind of person, exist as the kind of person that lets our yes mean yes and our no mean no so we don't fall under some time of condemnation. What, what he's basically saying is, is that we, we don't need to make oaths. We, we don't even need to swear agreements with God. Now, you might be wondering, well, how in the world does that have anything to do with saying an oath? Have you ever been in really bad straits yourself in your life? And one of your first tendencies, humanly speaking, is I'm going to make a deal with God. Huh? You don't like what you're going through, so I'm going to make a deal with God. God, if you get me out of this. He's saying, hey, don't make those kind of oaths. Instead, Job is just telling us that that we, we don't need to make frivolous oaths. Job, going back to his illustration, never cursed God, never made frivolous vows to God. He's simply telling you and I as Christians that we ought to have such honest speech that our words mean what our words mean. If you say yes, it ought to mean yes, not maybe. If you say no, it ought to mean no. We, we shouldn't be mealy-mouthed in what we say. We, we ought to, our words that we say ought to be honest enough that we don't need to back it up with some kind of oath. True Christian character doesn't require words even. We can display it by our life choices and the way we, we live our lives. Like the farmer waiting for a spiritual harvest of a fruit that will glorify God. Like like the prophets who looked for opportunities to witness, even though they were going through trials and difficulties. Like Job, when he was facing everything that he faced, God had a loving purpose. God doesn't let his children suffer for no reason, for no cause, needlessly. He had a purpose in it. And he's simply telling us we need to be patient ourselves, prayerful ourselves when we're going through difficulties like that. Second thing he tells us, though, is that we need to be dependent upon prayer. We need to be dependent upon prayer. Not just prayerful when we're going through difficult situations, but dependent upon prayer. James says a lot about the tongue. And this chapter is no exception. He, he talks about some of the highest uses of our speech or our tongue. Proclaiming God's truth. We've already seen that. Uh, in, instead of grumbling, instead of swearing. He talks about some low uses of the tongue, grumbling, swearing. We've, we've seen some of that today, but some of the higher uses is like the prophets proclaiming God's word or like we're going to see here in just a moment, verse 13, praying and praising God. Pray, prayer is a holy privilege. It's something we ought to take opportunity of. Seven times he mentions prayer. In this section, seven is the biblical number of perfection or completion. He's simply telling us that prayer is really, really important. And a characteristic of a mature Christian is that he prays. Not just asking God for stuff, but just even talking to him like your father. Hanging out with God and spending time with him is a mark of a spiritual maturity. Three things I want you to see here. Number one, we need to be dependent upon prayer concerning suffering. Concerning suffering. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Don't get bitter. Don't get upset. Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. If you're going through a hardship, if you're being afflicted, enduring afflictions, what the word means, pray to God. The word can even mean worship God. The, the root word it's built from means forward or toward. We, we need to be making our wish, our desires in the direction of God. By the way, James indicates here that not everyone 
goes through troubles at the same time. Sometimes you may be going through troubles and suffering, but someone else may be cheerful. Or you may be cheerful and someone else suffering. He tells us that we'll go through both of those experiences. God balances our life with those experiences. We need to be cheerful when we uh, are going through good times. We need to be sing praises to Him. Uh, the, the word meant to, to rub or touch the, uh, an instrument like John or some of the other guys up here will touch a string and it will make a, a, a sound. That's the word that He uses here, that we need to be singing praises ourselves uh, to the Lord. God balances our lives. He gives us hours of suffering. He also gives us hours of singing. But the mature Christian, the mature Christian understands how to sing even in the bad times. You want an example of that? And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. Do you remember where they were? In prison at midnight. And yet they were singing praises to God. We've already talked about how going through life, we're going to face difficulties. Jesus told us up front, we'd face difficult circumstances. But instead of us grumbling and getting angry with God or criticizing other people who's having an easier time of it than we are in the moment, what we need to do is pray and talk to God about it. See, prayer might do this. Prayer might remove the affliction. It might remove the suffering that you're going through. But I guarantee you this, Prayer will help you get through that time of suffering and that difficulty with a better disposition. Prayer prayer will help you have the grace to endure whatever it is that you're going through. So we need to be prayerful when we're going through difficult circumstances, suffering, facing trials. We also need to be dependent upon prayer concerning sickness. When we're actually facing illnesses in, in our life. James said, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, we really need to talk about this a little bit because this gets kind of taken out of context uh, a whole lot. James has not given us a magical formula for healing someone. Over 30 years in the ministry, there have been times that I've prayed and I've seen people get better. There have been times that I have prayed hard with tears and seen people die. When I was pastoring Union Missionary Baptist Church down in, the, in Rocky Mount years ago, had a guy there by the name of Al Fredette. Al had already lost an arm in a forklift accident. He's the one I told you about years ago, used him for another illustration, and he was on the pulpit committee, and they took us out to eat before we decided that God was calling us to go down there, and Jessica was little, sucking her thumb, and he looked over at Jessica and raised his arm up and said, hey, kid, look here, don't suck your thumb. See what happens? <laughs> so I had a good disposition in, in all that he was facing, and, and yet he had something developed called deep vein thrombosis and was affecting the circulation in his body and he was going in the hospital to have part of his foot removed and I thought to myself God he's already been through that other he doesn't need to have this happen and I prayed and had a deacon with me at the hospital praying that day and I prayed as hard as I think I've ever prayed crying and everything else that they would go back in there and say hey something's happened the circulation's better we don't need to take it off But God didn't answer that. They took it off. I saw why later on in the recovery room. Because the nurse was apologizing to him that they couldn't save it, that they had to take it off. And Alfredette looked at her and said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. She needed to hear that. I probably needed to hear that. I had a deacon in my first church, first full-time church that I pastored, who was on the pulpit committee also. And he wrote a letter to me that convinced me that God was really dealing in my heart about becoming the pastor of that church, even though it was a church that had a lot of trouble. And Harley wrote a letter to me, and, and Harley had already lost one lung due to lung cancer. And the cancer spread over into the other lung. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed over Harley. And and yet Harley died. 
I remember pulling up to the church the Sunday we were going to bury him. First time I'd ever lost anyone as a pastor. And I pull up into the parking lot of that first church that I pastored. White Plains Baptist Church in Roaring River. And I see the tent out in the cemetery and I lost it. I thought, God, I prayed for him. Why did this happen? See, he, he doesn't give us a formula here. And you need to understand that. Notice three things real quick. One, there's a condition. Someone's sick. Someone's sick. They're feeble. They're diseased. They're sick. I want you to notice also there's an invitation. The invitation is this. Let him call. Let the sick person call for the elders of the church. Let them summon them. Invite them. Will you notice something here? Will you notice that the sick person is making the invitation for someone to come and pray over them? It is not some pastor or some evangelist at the front of a church or the front of some coliseum doing a healing ceremony and inviting people to come down. That's not what is said. What is said is the sick person calls and asks for the prayer. It's not using some healing ceremony to raise funds. I'm sorry, but that's how I think a lot of that operates. The sick person is to make the request. Not just a condition and an invitation, but a petition. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Let them pray. Let them pray to God supplicate, worship, pray earnestly in the direction of God, asking him this wish to heal the person. Pray over them, literally over, upon, towards that person. Anointing them with oil, meant to smear with oil or perfume. The root word talked about olive oil. Now, now here's an, another place I've got to meddle a little bit. I'm sorry if I, if I mess with your theology. I'm just telling you what the Bible really teaches. Rubbing someone with oil doesn't heal anyone. Do you understand that? Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit of God. The word used for oil was also used literally to talk about giving a massage. (laughs) It does not say that there's some kind of magical oil that you go up and you anoint the person with or you slap them on the forehead with and all of a sudden they're healed. That's not what is said here. The oil heals no one. It's simply symbolic. The Bible says the prayer of faith in the name of who? The Lord. So if he decides to heal, it's the Lord that does the healing that will raise them up. Uh, Ken, the wireless mic's not been hooked back up since the wedding. Oh, you got it now? You got it in plus? Okay. Uh, John's been working then uh, to pull that off. Uh, some of you have already heard this. Some of you haven't. Now, Macy had treatments this week, so she didn't really feel like getting out today. And it's uh, safe or not for her to arrive, she has treatments. But Ken's going to come up and say just a word to you. I mean, this is God's timing if I've ever seen it because of what we're dealing with today we didn't plan it like this god planned it like this though i think we good okay hey guys um yeah so um let's see here um i didn't have a i guess a speech plan um last last week this past week has been a, a good week um, about six months ago, uh, Macy uh, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer, and uh, we were almost done with uh, pregnancy on our third child. And um, it's, it's been tough, um, but um, Tuesday we had a PET scan, and uh, they, they actually emailed us uh, late at night, like at 9.53, and the doctor was super vague and was like, hey, uh, results were good, I'll call you in the morning. I was like, what, what are you even, why are you even emailing me? Just either call or don't say anything. And then we had a, a phone call the next morning, and um, the doctor uh, confirmed that um, everything's good. Um, 
her cancer is is gone. It nothing lit up, and I'm not going to go into how all that works because I I don't I'm not a doctor. Um, she still has nodes in her chest, um, which is is apparently normal. Uh, those are um, dead cells essentially, and um, but for the most part she's she's done. She's um, this past Thursday we finished up our ninth treatment. Uh, we still have three more to go, uh, and those are still tough. Um, I'm just struggling with what. What all exactly to say, just because um, I know Macy really wants to come up here and talk, and, and she's just not feeling up to it today. So I'm not going to get into how much of um, how much this has just uh, actually been a blessing. But I just want to tell you guys how thankful um, we are because, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe you guys will relate to me, but I'm a man. I try to take things on my shoulders, and I feel like I can handle things. And... Um, and this is just something I couldn't handle. Um, and I've just had to uh, just, just let it go. And, and I've put so much of it, all of it, in God's hands. And he has dispersed that onto your backs. And you guys have been such a blessing um, to Macy and I through prayer. And you guys have brought meals and uh, coming over and having church with us, coming into my home and praying with my wife and giving her hugs and support. I... Um, I don't know how to say thank you enough, um, except for I'm just very thankful um, to have um, to have a family like you guys. Um, you are a humongous blessing, and and I'll, I'll also say this: um, one of the things that um, that we've uh, I guess learned is, and may, maybe it's something that. This isn't a marriage talk, um, but you know when you get married, you you say, "Oh, for better, for worse," and and but you never think about the worse, you know. And um, and then in life, especially as a Christian, you just think, "Oh, well, I don't want bad things to happen to me." And when and when it does, you you kind of want to run away from it or you you shy back from it. And I'll tell you that, guys, this, and I'm not trying to wish anything bad on you, but I will say this: that going through these hardships has brought us closer. Um, to Christ and closer as a married couple than anything else has the last seven years. And so I, I would just, just tell you that, that, that as these tough things come in your life, don't, don't run away from it. Uh, this, it's a good opportunity to just to grow closer to Christ. And I, I just, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to go too much just because I know Macy has so much she wants to, to share at some point. Um, and I, t- I told her that we provided time for that later too yeah. for her to be able to. So I just want to tell you guys, thank you. You guys are y'all are the biggest blessing um, to me and my family, and I'm very very grateful for for how y'all treated us and and loved on us. Thank you. Yeah. Let's give Jesus a hand because that's where. It's- And, uh, and, and having said that, and, and Ken had not seen the message, and he just he came in uh, uh, after I had dealt with a lot of that because I asked him to be here near the end of this uh, service and to do it for the next service also. By the way, we're recognizing the graduates during the next service, so if you want to stay behind, we'll do that right at the end of announcements. If you want to stay behind and see the uh, graduates that we have graduating high school and college uh, this year, you, you know, we welcome you to do that. But I do want to say this, kind of a personal note. Uh, I myself have been blessed uh, by Macy's faith, by the things that I've seen her put on Facebook. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll never, ever hear of her facing cancer again. But uh, even if we do, God used this for a purpose, and he would use it again for a purpose if it were ever to return. And I, I, I told her one time I was humbled by her faith, and I wasn't just saying that to be say words. I, I was really humbled by the faith that I saw her display. So much so, if we have other people that come down with similar things, I know who to park them with and say, you need to spend time with her and let her talk to you about what you're going through and all. Uh, I'm not sure you want to get the highlights. I'm going to let John and them know if they want to go ahead and be coming. Uh, there, there's one more sub-point. I'm just going to get the highlights of that. And, and we also need to be dependent upon prayer um, with our sins, finding forgiveness. Because James said uh, there in verse 15, um, and, uh, and then on down in verse 16, uh, he said, and, and if he's committed sins, if the person's committed sins, his sins will be forgiven. So there's apparent connection between uh, sin and, uh, and disease and illness. 
Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that everyone that gets sick gets sick because they were ill. Jesus said that wasn't the case. Because, you know, some of the people are saying, well, even his disciples are saying, well, this person lame over here uh, or blind over here, or are they in this condition uh, because of their sins or the sins of their parents? And Jesus said, neither. said, so God might be glorified. So just because someone's facing sickness doesn't mean it's a result of sin whatsoever. But disease itself is a result of what? The original sin. And disease and sickness can be the result of someone's sins. And Jesus said that if that's the case, you need to pray, and they'll be forgiven. But I want you to notice there's accountability or confession of sin. In verse 16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power or is very effectual as it is working. We, we need to confess, we need to acknowledge, we need to fully agree with God about our sin whenever we miss his standard, whenever we miss the mark. We need to confess our sins to one another. And the phrase there means make it a habit. The tense of it means make it a habit of confessing your sins to each other. Make it a habit of praying for one another. And it says may be healed. It doesn't say they will be healed. The word in the Greek itself uh, is in a, in a tense that's passive and subjunctive, which means it's contingent, it's probable, it's eventual, but it's not definite. It's what it means in the Greek. So just because you pray over someone, there's no guarantee that they're going to be healed. But he said we need to confess our sin and pray for each other. Because that prayer of a righteous person, someone that's been proclaimed right, made innocent by God through faith in Jesus, has great power. Some theologians I read after, in uh, commentaries I read after in studying this, some would say they thought that only meant that you need to confess sin to someone that you've sinned against. I disagree with that. I think you do need to confess sin with people that you've sinned against, but I think this also teaches accountability. And we need to hold each other accountable. And if you've got a problem with a sin, you need to confess it to a brother or sister that you've got faith in, confidence in, that they're not going to go spread it all over the world. And you need to let them hold you accountable. And you need to help hold them accountable as they're going through struggling with whatever that sin might be. That's why we have things like home teams, our small groups, to where you can find people there that you can yoke up with and trust their heart, and they trust your heart, and you can share with each other. And pray for each other and, and try and get victory over sin in your life. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will attain mercy. Tradition tells us this. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but tradition, history, uh, tells us that James believed so much in prayer that he had calluses on his knees. The, the very one that God uses to write this, believed so much in prayer and spent so much time in prayer that his knees became hard and calloused. He tells us we need to pray so we can be more patient. When we're going through circumstances and difficulties in life, we need to pray because praying will help us make it through that. But he also tells us when we're facing sickness, we need to be very dependent upon prayer, whether it be trials or illnesses, we need to pray for each other. I'm not much on poems, but I found a poem that I really like that I want to close with that uh, Lord Alfred Tennyson wrote. And it says, More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Wherefore, let their voice rise like a fountain for me night and day. For what are men better than sheep or goats that nourish a blind life within the brain? If knowing God, they lift not their hands of prayer both for themselves and those who call them friend. For so the world round earth, the whole world, I'm sorry, the whole, the whole round earth is every way bound by gold chains about the feet of God. In other words, it's all connected to God. And that's why we need to pray to him and pray for each other. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, Forgive us for our prayerlessness. Forgive us, God, when we just pray 
to you in times of trouble or when we think we want something or need something. Make us more prayerful people. Lord, even if that means you send difficult circumstances into our lives. Father, we thank you for the testimony of Macy. We thank you for what Ken shared with us. We pray you just continue to keep cancer from her body. But Father, I know we have other people here that are going through struggles and circumstances. Lord, I pray that you help them understand right now that they need to be more patient to make it through whatever it is by looking forward to the coming of Jesus and by depending upon prayer. Lord, help us to pray when we suffer, going through trials and circumstances. Help us to turn to you in times of sickness. Help us to be like a farmer with great patience, understanding it's out of our control. And we trust in you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One very, very important prayer in your life is that first prayer that you say to God. When you say, God, I'm a sinner. I admit it. I can't save myself. God, right now, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, and I'm going to trust in him for what he did for me on the cross. And if you've never done that, that needs to be a prayer that you pray this morning before you leave. The altar is open here at the front, as it always is. If you need to come and pray about circumstances in your life, if you need to come and and pray about about healing in in your life, and and God is calling you to do that. I'm not calling you down. If the Holy Spirit tells you you need to do that, we invite you to come and pray. I do feel led to do this since Ken's here. I'd like for Ken to come and kneel, and maybe some of you guys would like to join around Ken and and, and continue to pray for Macy and pray that that good news stays good news. So I'm going to ask Ken if he'd come and kneel during this song and uh, invite you to come as God speaks to your heart. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.